The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium-sized companies and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans, but more importantly, help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. We've also recently launched the Captain Strategy program and course. This is a group-oriented session that we walk you through our seven key principles to actually create your strategic plan and work in a session that is not only fun and a mastermind type of event, but something that's going to really be worthwhile for you to not only use in your current plans, but in future plans as well. So I encourage you once again, go to 40strategy.com to learn more. I'm really excited to talk about our guest today, Brad Giles. He has more than 20 years of experience as a serial entrepreneur, strategic planner, and leadership coach. He's the author of Onboarded, How to Bring New Hires to the Point Where They're Effective and Faster, and also the author of Made to Thrive, The Five Roles to Evolve Beyond Your Leadership Comfort Zone, a perspective guide on how to become a great leader. Each week, Brad has his own podcast, The Growth Whispers Podcast, and he writes also a weekly newsletter, both of which discuss how to build great companies. Today, he's also the founder of the strategic planning and coaching consultancy, Evolution Partners. He works with CEOs, leadership teams, building enduring great companies based out of Australia. Brad, welcome to the Mesocess Podcast. G'day, how you going? Thanks. And it's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, I am very excited to talk about so many different things, uh, in, in particular, your book that you've recently launched. But before we get into there, let, let's talk about your core, like what you do, your, your day-to-day job, you know, because we, that was three big things, strategy, leadership. What do you really do? You know, how do you really make a difference with the people you're working with? There's two questions there. First of all, we build great companies. Like, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's in my DNA. It's the fuel that gets me going. We, you know, we've got a small consultancy here in Australia and and we work from the far west to New Zealand. Uh, and yeah, we we build great companies is the the, the, the simplest way to do it. How do we do it? Um, we utilize, uh, much like yourself, a strategic planning process where we work with teams on a on a 90 day iteration, building their business plan and evolving it over time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of curious when you work with somebody for the first time, what are they most surprised about? The quantity of work that we get through and um, the, the, the tools, how they intersect. And we, we view it a bit like a jigsaw where every piece that we work on through people, strategy, execution, cash, 
all of the components all plug together and we're working toward a, a, a fit, which is a plan rather than having disparate things coming from all over. And, and I guess, I, I think often, or some people can come in skeptical and, and we actually encourage that uh, because the, the work in the room, it, 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 it's evidence in itself um, that this stuff works and they can see the direction. And it's, yeah, I think that answers the question. Oh, it really does. And so then you, I love it how there's a surprise of, wow, we've gotten so much done. But yeah. then there's that hard part, right? Which is actually getting it done, right? Taking to the next level of actually execution. What do you do to help people out? Because there's so many things, right? You come out of strategic planning process and it's like, wow, there's all these things we can do. How do you help people focus on the few things they should do to have immediate success? Yeah, well, constraints. Um, so, you know, uh, to be a turkey and to say something a bit outrageous, you know, goals are garbage. So if you set goals and there's no plan on how to build them, well, it's just garbage, right? So a goal has to be connected. So ideally, we're setting goals for 10 to 30 years with the Jim Collins BHAG work. We're coming back to three years. We're coming back to that's then cascading into one year, and then that's cascading into company uh, for 90 days and then individual for 90 days. But we're constraining uh, to a maximum of five at each of those points. So no more than five, three year, no more than five, one year company, no more than five uh, department, no more than five priorities for the individual. And they've got to be listed from most to least important. So that process it, it ensures that people focus on the important things um, uh, the, the, rather than the urgent and important things. Thank you. I think that's a great description. Yeah. And you, you touched on something there, which th there must be if there's five things, right? It's a combination of actually strategic and operational things that yeah. you're including in there. Is that fair to say? Uh, it's an arm wrestle, <laughs> is what I would say. It's an arm wrestle um, because... There is always the day-to-day, -day and, and frankly, the weaker the balance sheet, uh, the, the more um, that it's taken over by day-to-day -day and or the faster the growth, the, the more that it's taken over by the day-to-day. -day. Um, so that's why we try to cascade and we look at, well, what's the number one priority in three years and what do we need to do in one year within those guardrails? And then what do we need to do in 90 days and then building that out um, over 12 quarters to achieve that three-year goal. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love the focus around it. And you said something super important there because I think it's, it's a scary thing, right? Regardless of what all the strategies you have, if you don't have cash figured out, it doesn't matter, right? That is your lifeblood. That's your oil to your car, to your engine. Um, it's it's the blood to your uh, your body, right? You know, if you have no cash, you do not operate. So what are some of the basic principles that you help somebody with? Because as you know, you could be growing rapidly and run out of cash. You could be flat and go out of cash and you could be declining and actually have cash. Like you could have all sorts of different scenarios. What kind of key principles do you do to help people understand that cash is critical to your survival of your business? Um, <clears throat> well, the principle of cash is that you've got to be able to weather the storms first and foremost. We had a pandemic recently, we know that, um, and that affected people in all sorts of various ways, depending on their industry. 
Um, we subsequently had supply chain issues throughout the world. A again, you know, other things will come, be it a recession or who knows what's going to happen. But that's outside of our control. What is inside of our control is the amount of cash that we spend or save and our business model and the growth levels that we set that spin or suck cash, spin off or suck cash. Um, <clears throat> so we broadly advocate that companies need three months of operating expenses, cash in the bank. So a liquidity buffer. And if you've worked with um, listed companies, oftentimes that can go up to a year or two years. Um, and, and that is, uh, imagine everyone does their accounts different. Isn't it? You know, there's no standard. And I think that you're an accountant, so I'm, I'm stepping into your uh, zone of excellence. Um, but broadly what we're saying, if all the revenue stopped coming in, you could pay all of the fixed costs for three months. You've got access to that cash in a very short time. You don't need to sell the furniture. I appreciate you bringing that up and and, and talking about that three months and, and there's different met rules of thumb, so to speak, but having something like that, it, you can weather these storms, you know, that you talked about it. It's, it's interesting. It, this is in the States. They had this big program called the PPP loan. And for the most part, it was six weeks of cash. Yeah. And, but that six weeks was the difference of survival for multiple companies throughout the U S like literally, like if they didn't have that loan and <laughs> access to that capital, but what's, what's, Interesting is they didn't need the government support in the first place if they would have properly put a cash put away cash, so they had it right. Yeah. And you think of right now with financing being so at least once again in the states, if you have to get six, eight, ten percent interest rates, that's expensive. That starts being very expensive. And then if you have to get worse financing capital of eighteen to twenty percent, it's so much nicer using your own cash right versus have to borrow. Well, business owners wouldn't run their household that way. Um, they wouldn't, uh, and and I think the data is is the the average business, uh, if the wheels stopped turning, probably has about one point seven to two point four weeks of cash, like it's it's really really close because that it's now it depends on the industry, are you retailer, you B two B whatever we we get that, but um, it's nowhere near what it should be, and it's when they calculate that, oftentimes it can be a real challenge to think three months, that's forever. The other thing is that there's always people around you who want to sell your stuff. They've got uh, investment property or they've got you know uh, some kind of investment or you can buy a part of their startup or whatever it is, or new machinery in your business. And that's the second part, which is about the discipline to actually stick to it and hold it. It's all about discipline. Now, okay, so let me let me touch on that for a minute because there's the it's one of my there's discipline and there's habits, right? People are not really naturally disciplined, but people can learn habits. So, how do you help get people to learn those habits, right? Because discipline, you says, hey, you got to have discipline to spend your cash wisely, wisely, if that makes sense. But how do you create habits so people will won't make those bad decisions that they consistently make? Right, that they oh they think they have money and they end up find out they have. Example, there's so many SaaS opportunity things you could buy as monthly and weekly and annual and yearly subscriptions. The next thing you know, you're spending thousands of dollars a month on SaaS subscriptions. Right? Yeah. How do how do you create that filter so people don't make that decision go down that rabbit hole in the first place? 
Well, uh, you're right. There's habits and discipline. James Clear says it takes 66 days to develop a habit. It's in a personal sense. Um, I, I think, I think it depends on the size of the business. Um, but for medium-sized businesses where we tend to play, um, the establishment of a leadership team uh, uh, with autonomy and uh, the the democratizing of the decision-making process and peer accountability. So if before that, it was a bit of a genius with a thousand helpers and the owner really just spent money in an undisciplined fashion, establishing a leadership team, establishing a, 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 a business planning process, establishing a budgeting process um, where things like cash at bank are discussed, there's targets around it uh, to increase or to maintain. That's the a long answer to a short question. No, that that's that's perfect. So before we talk about your book, one one more question I want to ask is how a lot of people want to become business consultants. And it, it's like it, I think it's a dream for a lot of people. I'd love to go out and become a business consultant. How did you get into it? And and how did you develop the experience where you became a trusted advisor for others? I thought to myself, what I, I'd sold a business and I thought to myself, what do I love? What gave me the most energy? I was, this was, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. And I thought to myself, um, what's the next step? I can start a business. Where am I going? As many people find themselves often in their career or, or their life like that. And so I used the Jim Collins hedgehog on myself, uh, hedgehog concept, which was what am I deeply passionate about? Um, what can I, I be the best at? Um, and what drives my economic engine? Or what can I be, you know, earn good money at? Uh, and so I thought, I looked back and I thought, the thing that gave me the most energy through those businesses that I enjoyed the most was the offsites with the leadership team building plans. And I thought, how do I do this every day? Um, and then once I'd figured that out, it was it was good because it was like, well, this is the next step. And then I <clears throat> I thought about it like a, a Japanese crafts person uh, whereby I thought, I just want to keep learning and learning and learning and learning and the results will speak for themselves and they will um, compound and build momentum um, from there. And so that means I'll have to start slow, but I, I looked at it as a long-term mastery journey. Um, and that's my best answer to that question, I think. Yeah, that's a great answer. All right. Now we get, to, let's talk about your book and I'm really excited because you, you, you've written it in a narrative type way, um, onboarded how to bring new hires to the point where they're effective faster. Give us a little, for those who aren't familiar with the book, Give us a little bit more depth behind what was the purpose of the book and what we're trying to accomplish. So it's it's coming from two angles. The first angle is that there isn't really any books about onboarding for business owners and business leaders. There's a lot of stuff that's written for the new hire, how to onboard yourself, some good stuff in that area. There's a lot of stuff that's written for the HR profession, but I wanted something that was a business case that was robust that uh, 
people could say, this is why we need to spend effort in this area where we haven't previously or nobody spends effort. And this is why it's worth it. So it's, you know, to call it a business case is to, to not do it justice, but it's effect. I wanted to have something that was robust in a business case. So that's the like one part of the answer. The second part is that I'd written a book before that called Made to Thrive. And the working title was The Five Roles of a CEO. Um, now, the reason I wrote that book is because in my interactions with all of these leaders, it became blindingly obvious to me that um, people didn't know what their role was as a CEO. So we know what a nurse does. We know what an electrician does. But what's the role of a CEO? What does a CEO actually do? What's the prescriptive job description and the results that we need from that? Because if you were a CEO who's come from sales, you've got a sales bent. Or from engineering, you've got an engineering bent, let's say. Um, so the first book was very much... Uh, a, a prescriptive guide to say, if you uh, have a listed company and the sole thing you focus on, for example, is the shareholder price, what about if you're burning the balance sheet? Or what about if the culture is toxic? That's not really a good measure of a CEO. Um, and equally and inversely, you've probably worked with or seen companies where they've got a beautiful and great culture, but the cash you know, is, is just uh, going onto a fire in the backyard. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> it's just burning. So um, I, I looked at what are the results that great leaders produce, uh, and uh, they were things like um, a higher percentage of top performers, uh, higher retention, um, uh, consistent growth, um, and consistent profit, and those types of things. Um, <clears throat> and then and then reverse engineered it into five roles, which is the role of accountability, the role of ambassador culture, strategy, and succession planning, which is not leaving it to the next generation, but it's about the, the consistency. The first role that I mentioned there, accountability, um, was partly the, the second genesis for this book about onboarding, because one of the components within accountability is holding people accountable. You've got to build a system within the organization where people understand what they've got to do. They understand their um, their, the purpose of their role, the responsibilities, the accountabilities, and the, um, the, the KPIs, one or two key KPIs that they've got to achieve consistently. And then another part of that is, well, if they don't consistently achieve those KPIs, you need to take action, um, which is not only firing, it's about meeting with them, all of those types of things. But it's unfair on the person who is reporting to the CEO, if they don't understand how to uh, actually uh, perform that role, if they don't understand how to succeed. And so there's a little test that I put into that first book, which is if we were role-playing Carl, and I said, and you were the CEO and you were talk, complaining about a, a direct report. And I said to you, so how capable is that direct report uh, of succeeding in the manner that you define on a score of one to 10? And you gave me a seven. And then I said, so how much does that person want to succeed? And you gave me an eight. And then I said, well, how much does that person understand how to succeed? And you gave me a four. Well, the first two are on the other person, but understand is on you. And I guess after time, I began to realize more and more that it's, again, unfair to hold those people accountable. So that key question about how to get people to understand how to succeed 
was the genesis for this book? So it's interesting. You have the two ratings and then you have the rating of the four. Why is that consistent? And I'm sure that's a pretty common, like you said that kind of in general, right? But I'm sure that's a pretty common result is that there isn't clarity for most of their team members to know because the reality is they're dealing in ambiguity and day-to-day and, and they don't have a clear plan as what's ta- taking place. So how do you help somebody design those critical KPIs so there is a measure of importance in their work and how to follow what they're doing? How do you get somebody to go, no, it, it, it's really something consistent to do, even though there's a lot of different things that somebody might be doing? Well, we start by saying, is this working in the business or on the business? Mm. In the business should be contributing to the profit and loss in some manner. Now, there are direct and indirect. For example, uh, someone who's in the accounts department is indirect. Someone who's in sales or manufacturing might be direct. We we get that. But um, why do we spend money on this role? To, to get a return in some way. And we, 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 we think about that. We think about the process or the function that they're a part of and, and what is the single output uh, as we distill it down. Uh, HR might generate a job description that has 15 KPIs. Now, if I was taking that job, the first thing I would say is, which of those KPIs get me fired and which of those get me a promotion and which of those are just nice to have? Now, maybe that's because I'm a bit of a turkey and and I, you know, I, I am, am being disrespectful to that person. But uh, the principle is there are more and more important and less important KPIs. And we're trying to compete one against the other to understand, okay, so what is the real purpose? If we can distill it down to one or two KPIs, ideally, then we get a sense of the measurable working in the business and then we, fr- we we frame many things around that. I loved how you answered that because one of the questions I'll ask when talking about KPIs is, and once again, for those who, I'm sure everyone's familiar, but KPI, Key Performance Indicator, people, I'll say, well, what's the K in your KPIs, right? There's so many KPIs that it's, they're relevant. And I loved it how you discerned it of when I get promoted, when I get fired, would you not care? Right. You know, it, it's, it's like, it really brings to the, the emotion behind whether that KPI is really important, which I think is what's often missing in the numbers. Like I was just talking with a client just today, matter of fact, and they said, Oh, we got so many different KPIs that we're working on, but they didn't know what was important. So I want to go to the next question around that because you and I both know there's a difference between leading and lagging indicators, right? The lagging is the end result of what we do, while the leading is the things we can control. Do you try to have the KPIs be more leading or lagging, or do you have a combination? How do you help discern that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I guess I guess initially, I tr- like many years ago, I was big on leading and lagging indicators, but I've probably softened a bit on that or came away from that. And I'm more focused on the measure of success now. And so what is the single measure of success and or two? Um, Because if they're both leading or they're both lagging, so if I, it doesn't matter is my point, or I'm, uh, I, I guess I've just had enough 
debates in the room, trying to find either a leading or a lagging and thinking it's it's not it's not critical to this person's success. Um, so that's a, that that could be a little bit controversial with the leading and lagging advocates, perhaps. Uh, but I would more be looking at the function that they work inside or are accountable for. And then how do we measure success as an output of that? Um, and, and I guess my then to, to, to trim all of that up into one quick and tidy answer, it depends. Uh, it, 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 it depends and it, it's about being flexible. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I think it's just a, a little bit more flexible, flexible now, but provided we can bring a job for an individual down to one or two KPIs that they can really clearly understand and then build a scorecard around that, that's what matters. When people read your, your new book, what are they surprised about? I guess they say it's it's well written and it's a it's a that I'm thinking trying to aggregate the, the the comments. It's well written and it's super high impactful in that it's you, you know I, I have a very concise and no fluff style, and that's reflected in the book, which is uh, this is a business case. Uh, it is written to. Um, make the case that no one's doing onboarding because it's got structural challenges, which are um, busy managers, nobody owns it, and it's a part-time process. So we didn't end up with this massive hole in onboarding that is outlandishly expensive when you actually go through and calculate it um, by accident. Um, it's it's a structural problem in organisations, uh, and once people begin to see that, and then look at the research that I've done, uh, and then compared to the research that I've I've pulled together in the book, uh, and and then how to bring that into a simple tool to solve that problem, I think it's the impact of the book is probably the thing that people would would comment about. Kind of curious. Here you are, and it's such a big event. We were talking about this earlier. It's it's so difficult, right, to get out a book and and get towards there. And of course, this is maybe horribly audacious to go. But have you already thought about what you need to write about next? <laughs> um. So, I've got I've got a two part answer to that question. The first is yes, uh, I've got a book coming out this year, and it's onboarded for managers. Okay, so this is uh, a, a monograph of that book, uh, of the onboarded book. Um, so this make the, the onboarded book is is quite a short read. It's an hour, maybe hour and a half read. Um, but uh, I wanted to write a book that a CEO could give to their managers that the managers would actually read in this world of uh, of distraction and 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 blog post and social media. Um, that they would actually get through and read um, that would be uh, easy. So they could buy five or 10 copies, give them out to their manager and say, this is why we're doing it and this is how we do it. Um, and, and so that is the next book, but that's part one. Part two, th this is the most fun I find is, is figuring out the next book. I don't have an answer of as yet, but I've got a 
ton of notes that I'm working on. Uh, and again, for me, I want it to be a big problem, a big hole, and I want it to be really, really impactful and tangible. Yeah, great answer. And that's exciting that you already have one working on and then of course, heading towards the next piece. So good good for you to continue that journey because it's not easy. So congratulations on, on both parts of getting towards that. Okay, so let's talk up. Let's let's move. So for let me let me go to measuring success. And I know, and I don't want you to use the it depends, but with your clients and in your business, how you how are you measuring success in your business? Uh, retention, I would say, um, uh, uh, it's not a vanity metric. Um, when we work with clients, if we provide the value that makes us uh, high impact, um, they stick around. Um, so we've got uh, exceptionally high retention uh, with our clients that we're quite proud of. The only way we get that is if the work that we do means that the people never want to let us go which is a, 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 a flywheel effect, which brings them back um, uh, and makes us continue to improve and get better um, and, and makes them stick even longer. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say for us, it's uh, primarily retention. Thank you. I think that's a great answer. And I appreciate you mentioning that comment about vanity metrics because we can all get caught up in something that, seems exciting or is exciting, but retention is, is the ultimate measure of whether your client's happy. And, and so when you're making your client happy, it's because you're delivering them value. So that, I think that is a true great metric to, towards doing that. Okay. So you mentioned earlier, we were talking and you just got off of a run. Um, so what type of habits do you consistently do to help yourself be at your best performance? Hmm. That's, an interesting question. Uh, fitness. I think that um, I, I think that uh, I could go down a massive rabbit hole here, but uh, fitness, diet, sleep, exercise. I, I think that you know, as as you get older, you know, I heard a stat the other day. Uh, over the age of thirty-five, ninety percent of your thoughts are the same every day. So um, that's not fitness, but um, trying to expose myself to new things. So fitness, sleep, diet, exercise, I work very hard on those types of things. Um, so that, I, why? Retention. Because if I'm in, in good shape and alert and able to keep up with the conversation in the room as best I can, um, it, it drives towards our ultimate metric of, of, of retention and building great companies, which is our purpose. Um, new learning. Um, you know, you and I both have, for those of you who aren't on the video version of this, uh, have bookshelves behind us, continually learning. Um, even if some of it is the same stuff regurgitated, uh, continually learning, trying to find new things, listening to podcasts, you, you know, curiosity, all of that type of stuff. Um, I, I think that's 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 the, the guts of it, really. I think that's the, my, my broad answer, just, you know, fitness, curiosity, learning, um, and, 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 and challenging 
um, oneself and, and one's peers. So how do you measure success in your personal life? Hmm. Honestly, I don't think I do. I, I don't, I, I don't think there's a number that I'm, that, that I'm tracking. I, I mean, you know, we've got our own personal wealth or we've got the, 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 the qualitative happiness measures with our, with our loved ones. Um, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, uh, the, 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 the truthful answer is I, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I, I've seen people like Jack Daly who have uh, an, an outrageous schedule of measuring. Like he tells you how many movies he watched uh, uh, every day for the last 20 years and how many glasses of wine he had and everything. I'm not like that at all. Um, uh, I, I, I don't, yeah, the simple answer is I, I don't. Um, I, I try to, you know, have some, uh, yeah, just, it, it's, there's, no, there's no direct answer there. Appreciate the honesty there, you know, that that's not, because you are a person that measures a lot of things actually, and you do measure success, but, um, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a feel component at the end of the day, right? That's, that's hard to measure, right? It's hard to measure your, your joy with your significant other or family or your friends or things of that nature. Right. And, and, but you kind of know it, you know, when it's not working. Right. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's part of this. it's gut, it's feel it's, you know, oh, I need to invest a bit more over here, that type of thing. I mean, yeah, I, I enjoy the work that I do immensely. Um, and um, so, I, you know, the, the, the challenge, for many people who are probably listening and, and are interested, the challenge is to be able to um, to to indulge in that enjoyment and to do good work and, and to challenge yourself and to be a good parent and to be a good spouse and to actually look after yourself as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, so you once again, a reader of multiple books. Um, consistently it, it appears like, you know, and you, I even liked how you said, sometimes I read books again, right. You know, or go over something mm -hmm. or, uh, but what is a, a book or two? That's not, that's not your own, that, that you really impacted you. It could be recent. Or it could be something you read a long time ago that you think to others, this is a book you definitely share. You have to read. So many, so many, um, there's, there's a few that come to mind. First of all is Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. So I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, yeah, Bo Burlingham was the editor-in-chief at Fortune magazine, and he's researching all of these massive companies and all the time. But then all of these things keep popping up on the radar, small companies that are actually great but don't want to grow to be huge. And so he writes his book about these small companies that are doing amazing things. And it's just such a cornerstone. Um, I think, uh, and I'm trying to come away from the good to greats, all of the, the you know, the, the, the classics for ones that people may not have heard of. So Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday is another one, just a, a, a great, uh, it speaks, a great book. It speaks to the Stoic, um, the Stoic uh, philosophy from ancient Greece translated into today. Uh, and um, he's a chap who lives in Texas uh, and just, yeah, it just gets you to think, what am I doing that's actually working against what I really want? 
Um, so, so that's, that's another one there. Um, yeah, I think there's, that's probably a couple. There's, there's many others I could go to, but th they'd be a, a couple that, um, yeah, are, are definitely worthy. Oh, great suggestions. Brad, how can, this has been a wonderful podcast. I want to, of course, thank Kevin Lawrence who connected both of us. And I believe that's part, uh, anyways, I just thank him. I mean, he's been fantastic. He's a great connection. And, and so thank you for that connection. Um, how would you, uh, how do, what's the best way for people to connect and get to learn more about you? Sure. So um, I have a website, uh, evolutionpartners.com.au uh, in um, Perth, Australia. Um, you can find me um, there. I've got a weekly newsletter that I've been putting out for many years now, just a collection of ideas and thoughts and everything else. Um, and then you can find um, obviously the books on there or really, you know, the books on board are made to thrive anywhere that you want. There are two tools in Onboarded, um, the, the roles, uh, pardon me, the role scorecard and the onboarding sprint plan. Um, you can also download those at our website, evolutionpartners.com.au. Um, yeah, that's that's the primary areas. Brad, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Measure Success podcast today. Mm, thank you. It's been a great chat. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And to everyone who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed the wisdom that Brad has provided today. I encourage you to go out, uh, purchase his books, learn more about it, go to his website. He's truly a wealth of knowledge, one of the great strategists that I've ever come across. And so I encourage you to follow about what he's doing. And then uh, beyond that, um, you know, if this has been a great podcast, I encourage you to go out and rate it. Uh, that's how we continue to climb up the charts without your ratings. And uh, we know you're listening, but without those ratings, that continues to grind. And that's how we continue to get great guests like Brad. So with that, thank you so much. And I always like to say, wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.